The following sermon was delivered in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. One of the things that comforted me when I first got here was this verse you had up here, that the meditations of my mouth, and the, no, the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It was actually one of my first memory verses. It was one of the first verses that really jumped out at me because the first thing God did was clean up my mouth. <laughs> and I said, Lord, if I'm going to be representing you, you're going to have to clean this up. And he did. I used 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so I clung to that 1 John 1, 9 too because I said, Lord, I'm dirty. I need cleaning. <laughs> so I, I held to that. He just cleaned me up. He cleaned my mouth, you know. And I actually keep that at my office because I work with people and the work, the nature of the work that I do can be pretty intense. I help people in pain and things can fly out of their mouth, you know. And so I got that verse up to try to encourage them to try to keep it clean in here because the Lord built my business and I want to keep representing him in a way that's, that's acceptable. Um, so you can open your Bibles to Acts 26, 12 to 8, and then save Ephesians 2, 7 to 10 because I'm going to read both of those verses um, out. Um, and one of the things I just want to say is I want to thank Frank for inviting me because Frank's one of those people that I know really well, but he don't really know me that well because I learned under Pastor Phil. You know, I've been under Pastor Phil's teaching for quite some time, and Frank came to my Timothy. When I graduated from Timothy, he was there. He came and heard me speak, um, and then he came, you know, and I've heard about Frank, and he was there. He went to school with Pastor Phil, and he was there in the Holy Ghost Hall days, the early years. So I know Frank pretty well. So when he asked me to come, it was an honor. I was really honored to be asked to come to his church and speak. Um, So we'll start out in Acts, okay? Acts 26, 12 to 18, and Ephesians 2, 7 to 10. Acts 26, 12 to 18, and Ephesians 2, 7 to 10. In this connection... I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then go to Ephesians. Eight, I mean, two, seven to ten. So that in the coming ages, he might show 
the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. So, you know, I am honored to come here today um, to come and testify and share how God has transferred me from the power of Satan to the power of God. Um, And how God has delivered me from the darkness into the light of his glorious Son, um, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.13 speaks of how he transferred us and how he delivered us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And Ephesians said, it's not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. That we had no part in receiving our salvation except the fact that we accepted it. We received it. So all we can do is boast in Christ and glorify the Father for our salvation. In Titus it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. So if you really look at the wording of Scripture, it's really pretty clear the fact of who did what. So each and every one of us has a unique story of how God transformed us, how God saved us, how God changed us if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. I am not here to glorify how bad I was, but how good God is. I want to share how lost and blind and deaf and dead I that I was And I'm really here to boast on the goodness and kindness and power and grace of God. So I read out of two passages, right? Ephesians explains the means by which we are saved, faith and grace, right? And the purpose of of our salvation, good works. And I read out of Acts where the moment of Paul's salvation is described. And so this is where Ephesians 2, 7 to 10 and Paul's conversion are played out in real time. And though all of our stories are different, we, have all, we all have the time when God, out of his love for us, knocks us off our horse. Right? So I'm going to speak this morning about an aspect of God that we've all heard. It's a part of our Christianese. Right? We all have our little Christianese, expect everyone that they can understand what we're talking about. We throw around the words like sanctification, mercy, uh, grace, uh, salvation. Like everyone knows what we're talking about, right? But I'm going to speak on this, and this, when I talk about it, it should bring praise to our lips. It should bring honor to our actions. At the moment... I'm going to... And it's about... And basically... If, if I didn't even really grasp this or really even really get it for a long time after I was saved. But you hear it a lot. And at the moment we're saved and we accepted Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, we received so much of it that for all of eternity we'll never exhaust it. We'll never spend it and we'll only receive it. The truth of the matter is, the Bible says we receive this in the measure of the fullness of God. 
John 1.16. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, it says that it is eternally immeasurable. That is something that we receive from God that we cannot even be measured. I'm speaking about, I'm sure you guys have figured it out by now, the grace of God. For by grace we have been saved. We have all met somebody named Grace. Right? We've, many of us grew up praying over our meal, saying grace. Right? I've met the most pagan of sinners that say, I love that song, Amazing Grace. My point is that the grace the Bible speaks of is something unique to God that only he can offer us. From creator to creature, God's grace is utterly undeniable and unrepayable. I'm not going to bore you to death with some of the, the common definitions of, uh, uh, of grace, because there's a lot of common ones that we use. In the, um, I have them written out here, but I'm, I'm not going to go over them. Um, you know, I talked about a couple. Uh, it talks about how people move, opening a door for somebody that's showing them grace. Uh, we might be graced by somebody's presence. But when Christians define God's grace, you will hear definitions like God's unmerited favor towards sinners, or God's undeserved kindness towards us, or Here's what I got from the internet. It's the free and unmerited, not earned or deserved favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. I was taught this very early on, like this really, so you hear grace and mercy, just a quick distinction between the two is grace is receiving everything we don't deserve and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. But I've been really meditating on this gift of grace. And the, the word at its very core is a gift word. It's a gift word. So I started to ask myself, how could I simplify God's grace in order to magnify it? How can I give a definition of it that doesn't have to be defined by the words that are in it? Right? So we start to look at unmerited and all these other words. Like, if I'm going to sp- explain that to a five-year-old, I'm going to have to explain what all that means too. So how could I explain God's grace to a five-year-old while reminding and expanding it in the mind of an adult, right? A way of encompassing the, com- uh, encompassing the common aspect of grace with the divine aspect of grace. So I came up with this. Grace is everything God has done for us without any help from us, even in spite of us. Everything God is doing for us has done for us, and will do for us without any help from us, even in spite of us. I thought, as I thought of my own testimony and where God has brought me from, there was no way on earth I could ever leave out the in spite of. That's big. The in spite of. It's the in spite of that it's so amazing about the grace of God. It's the in spite of It's the in spite of that should lead us to repentance. It's realizing who we are and what we've done and everything God has done for us, in spite of that, should lead us to turn from that to turn to God. Right? So think about that. Everything, all he does for us, even in spite of us. Um, So when I was about, I don't know, probably six or seven years old, um, I grew up in a pretty good home. My parents were, they were Catholic. Um, you know, they tried to be good. Um, and 
I didn't want any part of good from very young. Like, if that was, what you, that was good, then I wanted bad. <laughs> I had a very rebellious nature, a very, very beginning. And so um, I was probably about six or seven. I found my parents' wine in their closet, their little box of wine. You guys ever seen a little box of wine? Started drinking it, felt the feeling of it, right? So I started to get a feeling for that, for, for, for alcohol at a very young age. But then my, bro- my brother, we used to go to the store, and my brother would like, hey, just take that. Put that in your pocket. And as soon as I realized I could get stuff for free, I was like, oh, man, I, just, I don't got to pay for it. <laughs> I can get it on my own without asking anybody. A lot of times it was no. And so I just started in that pattern. I started in that pattern. And by about, by about sixth grade, we moved out to California. We lived in Texas. And so me having that mindset, I found these, the, the absolute worst kids in school to be friends with, right, because they fit my narrative. <laughs> they fit what I was trying to do. And so by that time, you know, we started doing all kinds of stuff, drugs and things like that. The, uh, I remember the, the, the summer of the sixth grade, we went and we just went everywhere. We went stealing and we just, it was crazy. And then seventh grade, they gave us these little pamphlets that showed them. Remember they said the whole, you guys remember, I'm, I'm 45. So they remember the whole uh, Reagan's whole Say No to Drug campaign? And so they were giving us these little pamphlets and we, me and my friends were looking at these pamphlets and the way we, our mind we was like, oh, you can get high off that? Well, okay. So we started doing all this stuff, sniffing gas, whatever it said. We're like, oh, let's try that. And so (laughs) we were fools, right? Um, And so I started, we were stealing alcohol. Um, Then I started, I I started uh, uh, doing a lot. We started trying everything, drugs, meth, acid. You know, in seventh grade, we were doing all these things. By about mid-seventh grade, I started selling to support my habit, stealing too. And by eighth grade, I was hooked on crack. And so it was one of those things where I dropped my kids off at school. My son's in middle school now, and my niece is too. I remember dropping her off, and I look at those kids, and I go, man, I was smoking crack at that age. Unbelievable. You know, one of the big miracles I always talk about is that I have my brain. If you, if you would even saw, if you could even imagine the things I did to my brain, and that's God's grace. Um, then when I got into high school, it just got worse. I just kept on the same stuff, selling, using, you know. Um, I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of details about that because I can go on and on and on and on. I've got a million stories. But it kept on going. Um, by the time I got out of high school, I kind of found my drug of choice. Now, I'd found my drug of choice, and it was meth. So I was meth. I, I knew all the people that were, that were making it. I knew it. I had a good connection. I knew people that used it. I started using it. And so I got deep into the meth game. And so I, know, I knew a lot of people out this way, too. It was, it's big out here, just like it's big over there. Um, and so I started selling drugs full time, got involved with the gangs because, you know, I, I had friends that were in the gangs. And then so I, I started getting with the gangs. And I, that's where I got my best deal for drugs at, so I got really involved with them, and so it just kept going and going and going until finally I ended up in jail and ended up in prison, and so then I started this cycle. Get out, go back in. Get out, go back in, and I pretty much, we joke around, there's like 33 prisons in California, and I call it my California tour, 
So you know everybody comes out here to tour California for all these wonderful things that we got out here. I did a California tour of prison. I didn't go to all 33, but I went to about eight of them. And I was so in my whole cycle, I was so lost, you know, that I would end up in prison, in prison. So I'd go and I would do something in prison where I'd end up in the hole, I'd end up in the shoe, the secured housing unit, so I'd be in, incarcerated inside of jail. And I was thinking about it, I was like, man, that is silly. But that's where I was, that's where my mind was, you know. And so that just kept going and going and going. And till finally, I got out one time, and I'm like, my dad was like, so what are you going to do? Like, is this your career? <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, well, let's go see what else, what I could do, right? And so we went, and we went to this school. It was a massage school. So I started going to the massage school, and I was like, I really like this, you know? And so I, I really liked it, and um, I was going, but I was still using selling. I'd show up for class, and I'd be dead tired. And in massage school, like, you're, you give someone a massage, and then you're supposed to receive one, right? And then I'm supposed to tell them how they were? Well, I was asleep. <laughs> they, they hated me. They, no one liked me. They, nobody wanted me to be my partner. <laughs> and uh, so it's one of those things where it's like I was trying to be halfway in and halfway out. And that doesn't work. As Christians, we're like that too. We try to be one foot over in the world and one foot over here. It doesn't get us very far, does it? God wants us to be all the way in. He wants to say, look, I, took, I, I saved you from that. He wants to use all of you for him. And so, basically, um, it got to a point, so then I, I ended up going back to prison. The last time I was in prison, I, was, I woke up one morning, and I, and I was... Uh, uh, I woke up, and I remember looking around, and I'd basically become somebody in prison. So basically, like, when somebody would come to the yard, they were bringing me the people's paperwork to make sure they weren't rapists or child molesters or, or whatever, snitches. So I'm like, and then they brought me the paperwork, and then it just dawned on me. He goes, and, and I am somebody in prison. Like, I'd become somebody in prison. I had stead- I'd come back enough times to where now people were coming to me, and I was the one to say, yeah, he's got to go. Yeah, he can stay. And I'm like, I don't want, I never wanted this. I want to be somebody out there. I don't want to be somebody in here. It was not supposed to be like this. Now, I'm not saying I came to God that moment or anything like that, but it was like I started to wake up. So God started to wake me up. And like a day later, they come and they snatch me from my bunk. They take me to the hole. And they're like, you're going to the hole. I was like, I got one week left. I was going home in a week. And I sat there, and I remember one, this one time. You know, you know, we talk about, we laugh about atheists says they're no God. But as soon as they're about to get run over a truck, oh, Lord, help me. But they're atheists, right? But then they call on God at that one moment because they're not atheists. Creation speaks of a God, and people know in their own conscience that there's a God. But I said, Lord, no. And I can't tell you all the, 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 everything that was going on in that hole. It was bad. It was bad. It was upside down, backwards. And I was going to probably end up catching more time. And I was like, oh, and I knew there was no way out of it. I wasn't going to snitch. I wasn't going to go out like that. I was like, okay, but I didn't want this. 
About five minutes later, they called my name. They said, Collins, you're going back to the yard. I, 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 I did. I cried out to God that night. I wouldn't say, but I, I remember crying out to God that day. And they said, you're going out to the yard. I'm like, oh, wow. Now, I wanted to go back, but at the same time, it's like, how did you, how did you get back out here? It didn't really, I, I know you guys don't know all the politics of prison, but it's like, you had to told, people think I told on somebody to get back out there, you know? But I did not hear my paperwork. I didn't tell anybody. I don't know what happened. I believe it was an act of God. So I get out and I start, I start going back to school. I said, man, I really like that. And I said, I'm not going back this time, right? I said it before, but I didn't stop doing the things I was doing. So I ended up back in there. I thought I was going to do it better. This time I'm like, I do not want to go back. And then started doing, I went to school. I met my wife. We started dating. And um, God was just blessing me, you know. But I wasn't giving God any of the credit, right? And I can't, you can't expect that. I wasn't saved. But I wasn't giving him any credit. wasn't giving him any of the glory. And then um, I started slipping. My brother passed away. I started slipping. I started kind of using it on the weekends again, middleman, and I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. I was going to school. I was on student loan. And so I had a girlfriend. So I was like, okay, you know, let me start making a little bit, putting a little cash in my pocket, you know? And so... I started using, right? Started using again, kind of on the weekends, and it kind of grew and grew. And then my brother passed away. But right before my brother passed away, my my wife was pregnant with my son, and right before he led us to Valley Bible Church. So he led us to Valley Bible Church, and uh, when we got went to Valley Bible Church, we went a couple times. I'd be up for a few nights or whatever, sitting in the pew, you know, kind of going to sleep, and so it was kind of that. But we started going. And then after my brother passed away, I went full-blown back into my addiction. Full-blown. Full-blown. I started lying to my wife. Started, you know, it started, my marriage was going down the drain. Everything was going down the tubes. Everything was going down the tubes. And then one night, I, had to, I, I, I passed out. I was using meth that night, and I passed out. And I believe I might have OD'd that night, because you don't pass out on meth usually. And I, I was smoking a lot of dope. And, uh, I passed out, and I had this dream. And I dream about my brother. My brother was in heaven, and he was reaching his hand down for me, right? And when he reaches down hand for me, I went to go grab his hand, right? And then I got pulled down and sucked down into this pit. And I was going down, down, down. And the more I tried to go up, you had some dreams where you're trying to run, and you're like, you can't do it? It was one of those dreams. The more I pulled up, the more I went down. But my life was flashing before my eyes. I, people I hurt. I remember it vividly. And people where I hurt, and things that I'd done, it was there. And I was screaming, trying to get out of this dream. And my wife was trying to shake me and woke me up. And then finally I woke up and I was like, whoa. But then all of a sudden, that, that, that time I woke up, all of a sudden I realized everything I had ever done before in my life, I'd done before the eyes of a holy God. I was in, and I was embarrassed. There was a realness to God. I like, whoa, what is this? And that night I was like, whoa, I couldn't take it. Like before it was just me. But now he's like, the accountability, the weight of when I stand before him, it's going to be my kids, my wife. I'm accountable for all of them as the man, as the leader. I'm accountable for them. And I realized there was the weight of them that's like, I can't do it. And so I went on and I said, Lord, I said, just like this, I can't, I can't drive this car anymore. Take the keys to my life. And so that night I just fell on my face and just accepted Jesus Christ in my heart. And after that, it was like a total 180. All of a sudden, I had this awareness of God. I wanted to pray. I wanted to learn his word. I wanted to, all these different things that came alive to me, the awareness of God. 
And so not long after that, I was, I remember, because I, but you know, you, it's still drugs, you still, the impact of your sin is still there, and I was kind of, you know, still kind of fuzzy, and, but all, everything changed, all my desires changed. I didn't have a desire to get high anymore. I didn't have a desire to do anything anymore. Just to, I just wanted to know God. And so next thing you know, I'm like, man, I need to pray. So I started trying to pray, but everything in the world just started scrambling my mind, scrambling my mind. So I just cried out, Lord, just teach me how to pray. I, I want to learn how to pray. A week later, Pastor Phil comes up to me and goes, hey, you want to join my Timothy class? First thing we learn, the hour that changes the world, we learn how to pray. And I started feasting. I took that hour, and I was doing two hours. <laughs> I was like, man, I was like, woo! And God was just, and I was walking in it. God saved my wife. He saved my daughter. He started changing my life. He cleaned up my mouth. He cleaned up my desires. He just cleaned it, started cleaning everything up. And the things that I'd pray for, I was journaling them all, and I was just seeing them come alive and seeing them happen. I was like, one of the most, I mean, one of the greatest disciplines that I've been always fought with is that journaling, because journaling is such a beautiful thing, because you could look back. I found some prayers of mine from the past. I'm going, I was praying for that then? It's amazing when you start to look at the walk that you have with God, and journaling is a great way to do it. Um, I remember going to my brother's remembrance, too, and it was the craziest thing, because my brother was a Christian, and I didn't, I didn't honestly, I was the black sheep. My brother, he had got, he went to school. He got, he, he basically got all A's. He got um, um, scholarships. He was, a, he was an organic chemist, right? He was all, he was the one. And so when he died, it was like, man, the good one died. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Not him. <laughs> We're stuck with this guy. <laughs> but, uh, and I went there, and I was just seeing all these things my brother was doing for the Lord and all these people that were moved by his testimony and by what he was doing. I was just blown away. I was like, wow, I didn't know my brother. My, my brother had, had definitely planted seeds. He had brought me a couple of times to go to this, this place. He was out in East Palo Alto and, and, and where they were giving the gospel and things like that. And I did like an altar call, but it was nothing. I went back, and I just went back to the same old stuff when I got home. But he tried a little bit. But we had a really bad relationship, and I didn't really know him. And I was like, wow, I was blown away. I don't think my parents knew him like that either. So this is why I added the in spite of us. Because <laughs> when I think about my own testimony, I'm thinking, everything God has done for me, without any help from me, even in spite of me, so even while I was, even while we are sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> even while we were his enemies, he laid down his life for us. While we were, this is the greatest act of grace in history. There's no greater act of grace than the cross of Jesus Christ. While we were actively working against God, actively working against God, he was actively working in our favor. As we were diligently working for the enemy, <laughs> right, he demonstrated his love for us. That's why John 16 says, from, the, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. It's not like the fullness of our bellies. It's the fullness coming from the source of all things. It's the fullness coming from the one who has 
fills the belly of all the worlds and all of history. It's that kind of fullness. It's immeasurable. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. When we really look at everything God has done for us, without any help from us, even in spite of us, it should blow us away. I've asked myself, when is the last time I really fell on my face before you, Lord? Because that's where I belong. We weren't born on our own. Anybody do that here? <laughs> anybody, ever, anybody ever met someone who's keeping their heartbeat on their own? I mean, some people got a pacemaker, but still, it's still God. Anybody here breathing on their own? See, God doesn't have to strike us down. He just has to cease from upholding our breath. He just, that's it. This is grace. There are, these are just the basic functions, breathing, heartbeat, life, in which we have the ability to receive more of his grace. You know, I, uh, I always wanted this story, you know, but I had a friend one time. I was in my garage, and I was on drugs, and he comes up to me. He says, he, his other friend brought him over, and he's like, hey, we're supposed to be going out that night. He's like, hey, I'm a Christian now. And I looked at him, I go, what? I said, you're a Christian? I said, bro, you're in the wrong place, because there ain't nothing that a Christian should be doing here that I'm doing, or that we're doing. Now, I wasn't saved. But I looked back and I mocked God. And the saddest part about it is that he went back out there and got involved again and ended up involved in a murder and is doing life in prison. Now, I can't take the weight of all that on my shoulders because everyone has their own will. But at the same time, I mocked God. And the result of that partially is someone went out and he wasn't the one that did it, but he was involved in it. And he's got life in prison. And so I think of all the things I've helped to destroy people, even in spite of that, even in spite of the fact that I use my God-given ability to communicate, to mock him, he still saved me. He still showed me his grace. Even in spite of the fact I used the breath he gave me to curse and smoke dope. I'm sorry, that's wrong. The breath he gave me I used to curse him and smoke dope. Even in spite of the fact I used the hands he gave me to hurt people and steal. The hands he gave me to work and help people, I use them to hurt people and steal. I said those backwards. <laughs> um, even in spite of that, everything God said that was good, when he created it, I use it for bad. Even in spite of the fact that everything he created for his own pleasure and glory, I perverted it. I use it dishonorably and selfishly, and I use it for the enemy even in spite of all that.
God was working it all out for the day he would save me. Even in spite of all that, he sent his son to die on the cross for my sin. Something I could never do for myself or help with in any way and definitely, definitely didn't deserve. This is the greatest act of love and grace in all of history. It's not God's wrath and hell that is meant to lead us to repentance. It's his kindness and his grace and his love. His wrath and hell is a very real part. It's real. And it's what he saves us from. But it's his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus that is meant to lead us to repentance. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Our reaction should be, Oh God, you've been so good to me in spite of me. Oh God, you've done so much for me, even in spite of me. It should create loathing of our sin. And a magnification and worship of our God. In reality, we're all, we really only are left, we're really left empty-handed before God, right? We're left empty-handed before God. Able only to offer back what he's already given us. That is what's meant to lead us to repent, to turn from the sin that entangled us and turn to the God that frees us. I was teaching on uh, 1 Corinthians 13, to the kid, I, I teach uh, the youth at my, at my school, and I was floored when I came across God's kindness. Floored. <laughs> Remember we were talking earlier how you hear a word and then you don't really grasp it until you grasp it? God's supernatural agape kindness is like this, because there's kindness where I'm kind, I, I show you Good favor. I do things for you. I'm kind to you. I'm looking out for you, right? Even when we are actively hating him, he's actively loving us. <laughs> when we are acting like his enemies, he's acting like our friend. I have this, I have this illustrate the story that I tell about. I'm not doing it tonight, but about the frenemy. We're God's frenemies. <laughs> and he's the good friend. When we misuse the breath he gives us, he still gives us another one. God's kindness is different from us, right? We naturally are kind to those who we like. It's easy, right? That's easy. It's easy to like who we like. It's easy to show favor to those who we like. It's easy to do good to those who we like. But the second they offend us, what do we do? We got to get them back. We want to retaliate. God doesn't retaliate. He, 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 he responds to our offenses with goodness. It's not like ours. We automatically, in the flesh, we want to get you back. But that's not how God's love is. That's not how his kindness is. It's that that's meant to lead us to repentance. 
the fact that we are actively working against him and he's still working for us. It's incredible. See, we are called to actively work in the favor of and love our enemies. I, I teach down at the rescue mission, the Bible study, and the men are kind of always like at each other's, you know, they're, they're coming out and you know, you're coming from the world and you're, you, you've got all these issues and you're trying to work them out. And so there's always conflict. And I'm like, nowhere in the Bible. I said, go, look, go this week, study the Bible and f- find one place where it says you guys got to like each other. It doesn't. It says you have to love each other. And that's what makes it impossible because even though those guys are actively gossiping and talking about each other and putting each other down, you're supposed to still show them favor, still show them goodness, still show them kindness. And that's God, and that's what we're called to do as Christians, right? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of witness, is being in of wisdom, but it's his kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. When we realize everything we have done to oppose him and sin against him and misuse his good gifts— probably broken every one of his laws. The whole time, he is working in our favor. When we, got on the side, when we get on this side of his saving grace, we get knocked off our horse, right? When we go from darkness to light, when we go from the power of Satan to the power of God, when we receive the spiritual eyes that we receive at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit, When we fully see God's grace, when we fully can truly see everything God has done for us, when we really start to grasp everything God has done for us, even in spite of us, without any help from us, when we realize that he is the source of everything and we are the source of nothing, nothing, he is the giver and we are the recipient. That the everything he has done for us, without any help from us, is literally everything. <laughs> That's the thing we have to get through our heads. Everything. It's everything. He's done everything for us. <laughs> it should convict our spirit. It should convict and wake up that Holy Spirit inside of us and say, Lord, I want, to walk, I want to offer as much back of what you've given me as I can. That should be our response. I want to offer as much back to you as you've given me as I possibly can. I'm going to share one more thing God did for me without any help from me, even in spite of me. The day I was baptized, I went up and I had my little paper, you know, I started to give my testimony. A guy comes out of the crowd. He just came back to our church. He was away from our church for a little while. He says, wait, 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 wait. I, I have to say something. I've got to say something. I'm like, all right. So he comes in and says something. He reads out of Peter. I don't even remember which verse it was. He read out of Peter. And he goes, when this guy was out there running the streets, selling dope, in and out of prison. When this guy got stabbed and this guy got shot at and this guy was going through all this stuff, his brother was in my Bible study and we were praying for him. We were praying for this guy. And I was like, what? (laughs) 
God answers prayers. See, we all want to look and go, thank you, Lord, you, you, you haven't done it yet, so we stop. That's not our calling. God answers the prayers. We do the praying. There is something that has been burning in my heart lately. Burning. I'm talking about burning. I, you know, I don't know if any of you experienced that. Hopefully you have, but burning in my heart. And when I think about my brother's testimony and how he was praying for me and how the fact that he never got to see his prayer answered, not on this earth, he never got to see his prayer answered on this earth. While he was here, he never got to see his prayer answered. It's the, so, it's the story about the lost sheep. It's been burning. I've been, wow. And there's a, I hear this song, and it's about it, and there's all these different, and it's, just been, it's been coming at me from all angles. I'm going, wow. And here's what's burning in my heart. How God left the 99 to go look for me. And how God left, leaves the 99 to go get the one. So I'm going to read out of it. You don't have to go to it, but I'm just going to read out of it. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 to the, in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I believe that God has been pricking me, burning me with this verse for this reason. I just told you how God left the 99 to come get me, right? I have been saved for a little over 12 years. A little over 12 years. Since then, I've been going to church every week. I've been serving faithfully since he saved me. Teaching Bible studies for men having prayer groups at our home, teaching the kids, loving on the kids, going to all the events, doing whatever we can. My wife's in the choir. She's busy all the time with church work, all the time. My wife says, I stay real busy within the church. And you know what? I believe this is the will of God. But I have become anxious with the thought of becoming one of the 99 I don't want to become one of the 99. Or like the elder brother. We all know about that, right? That's always been one that's dear to my heart. We are called to be like Christ. We are Christians. We're supposed to go after the one. That's what Christ does. He goes after the one. We're supposed to be like Christ. We're supposed to go after the one. He came to seek and save the lost. See, as my church activity has decreased, my prayer for the lost has decreased. 
Since my, as my fellowship with all the saints and all the other believers has increased, my reaching out to unbelievers and the unsaved and the lost has decreased. It was never intended to be like that. As wonderful as it is, right, to fellowship with the saints, to come to church and necessary fellowship and Bible study and church work, it's all wonderful. It's all great. But it was never intended to make us comfortable or complacent. It was meant to encourage us and build us up and strengthen us and equip us to go out after the one. To go out and chase down the one. My wife says to me, he goes, is this really, all the church goes, is this what really, yes, it is, but we're, there's something missing. We're not going after the one like we should. That's the problem. This is what's burning in our, my heart. It's so important for us to go out, get out and rub elbows with sinners. We've got to do it. We've got to be salt and light to the world. That's what we're called to do. Jesus did. Wasn't that the complaint? What are you doing eating with those sinners? They're dirty. I came to save them. I came to save sinners, not the righteous. And so here's what we do. Over time, the sin of partiality starts to creep in. And by our actions, we start to tell God who is beyond his reach, who he intends to save, who is too far gone, who is beyond his power, and who will receive his grace. That's what we do. We stop praying. We stop witnessing. We stop inviting people to church. Don't do it. (laughs) You got that? (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) As God's chosen people, this is what we're called to do. We are called to fervently and diligently, like Jesus is coming back tomorrow, plant seeds and pray, plant seeds and pray, plant seeds and pray, plant seeds and pray, plant seeds and pray. All the time, everyone we meet, all those people that God's put us around us, we are ambassadors of Christ. And we're supposed to plant seeds and then pray for that seed. Plant seeds and pray for that seed. And then we wait and trust God to answer the prayers. See, we try to put God on our clock. We are not supposed to do that. That's what he, when Jesus said, he came to the disciples like, when's he coming back? When, when, when you coming back? Don't worry about it. Just do my work. <laughs> Plant seeds and pray. Plant seeds and pray. Plant seeds and pray. And then we, want, then we just trust God for the growth. Christ did not pray that we, we were to be taking out, taken out of this world. He didn't pray that. I'm sure you guys are all familiar with the prayer of John 17. He prayed that we would be protected in this world and be empowered to plant seeds and pray. I'll tell you, my brother's illustration, he never got to see the fruit of his prayer. I'm sure he did in many other ways, but not with me. My friend Susie, my wife's teacher, Bible study teacher, systematic theology teacher, she has a son who was a hell's angel. And for many years, he was a hell's angel. 
And you think to yourself, how could God work that out? It's still death, right? You just can't get out. How did God work that out? But she trusted God. She kept praying. She kept praying. She kept praying. She, she, he wouldn't even talk to his mother. She kept praying. There's just two sons. One's coming around too. For years. She's in her 70s. All her life she's been praying. And guess what? He's in my Bible study right now and he's saved. Because we're to fervently and diligently plant seeds and pray. Plant seeds and pray. Plant seeds and pray. Let's go to prayer. Father, uh, I want to be number one to repent. I say, Father, I walk around and I make judgments all day long. I fear what man will say all day long. He said, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, whose God I, wor- whose God I praise and God I trust why should I be afraid? What can man do to me? We should be walking around here knowing what we have in Christ, knowing everything you're doing, knowing what you've done in our lives. We should walk around like we have bulletproof vests on because we have the source of all things. It said he's working all things out for our good. And he's praying for us. So, Father, I just want to repent and say, Lord, teach me to look at every single person as a soul that's going to end up either in heaven or in hell. And let not me be the judge of who is and who isn't, but just to be obedient to your call for me to plant seeds and pray. So, Father, I want to turn from that and turn to you, Lord. I don't want to lose that burn. I don't ever want to forget or ever take for granted your grace. Everything you've done for us, without any help from us, even in spite of us, And that everything is so big, and that in spite of us is so big, but it doesn't matter. You still chose us. You still love us. You still called us, Lord. And you did it for your own good pleasure. So, Lord, let us lift you up today in worship and praise and give you all the honor and all the glory and all the credit. And let us not take anything for granted because it's all from you. We thank you this morning. We lift you up. I thank you for this time to be able to come before these these great people, Lord, and, and tell them about your goodness and what you've done for me. And I would love to someday hear some of their testimonies too, Lord. Father, we thank you so much. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.